Hey, this is Matthew Lilly. Welcome to the Presence Pioneers podcast. ago, Barna Research Group did a study and found that 83% of churchgoers, churchgoers did not know what the Great Commission was. 83% could not define the Great Commission. A shocking 51% had never even heard of the Great Commission. Right now, in the midst of everything that's going on in our world, we are familiar with the latest cultural trends and the latest political news, but maybe as believers, as Christians, we've lost some of the basics and we've turned our eye away from some of the foundational things that God has called us to do when so many people who are in churches don't even know what the Great Commission is, the mission Jesus has given us in the earth. This is shocking news, and this is what we're going to talk about on today's episode, The Great Commission, we have an amazing guest, R.A. Martinez, back on the podcast. He is the director and the founder of MAPS Global and an author, and he's passionate about worship, prayer, and missions. But before we dive in to the interview today, if you're new, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. The Presence Pioneers podcast exists to equip you and your community to experience and to host the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer. We believe God's presence changes everything. And so on Thursdays, we release new episodes. They're usually either short little Bible teachings or they're extended interviews and conversations like the one today with key leaders in the body of Christ, in the prayer movement, uh, on key topics surrounding worship, prayer, missions, the prophetic, revival. These are the topics and conversations we love to have, and we want to help you and equip you to experience more of God's presence. So please hit subscribe wherever you're tuning in and stay in touch with us. You can also visit our website anytime at presencepioneers.org. We've got our entire podcast archive up there, more information about our ministry, as well as a place to donate if you'd like to support our ministry and to just say thank you for the podcast. Well, you're in for a treat for this interview today with Ari Martinez. He talks about the hindrances to the Great Commission. Why are we not engaging? Why is this Barna study showing that we don't even know what the Great Commission is? Why is it that even many of our prayer communities who are passionate about worship and prayer in the presence of God, many times we even struggle to engage in the Great Commission as well? The answers will probably surprise you. It's going to be a strong conversation today, but we need to hear this. So without further ado, here's my interview with R.A. Martinez. Enjoy. R.A. Martinez, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, sir. It's great to have you back. I'm excited to be back. Thanks for calling me up and thanks for coming down and visiting. Yeah, we're sitting here at the MAPS Global Missions base right, in Richmond, yeah. Virginia. Yes. We just got out of the prayer room. Had yeah, an amazing we were just time. in noon, our noon set. Yeah, had an amazing time of worship and prayer. We had a great time. It's really good. The presence of God was strong. And so this is a prayer room, but it's also a place you guys are training up missionaries to go to the nations. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so. we shared a little bit on the previous episode about a little bit of your journey, but we really focused on what it it's like for the journey of the pioneers. And we talked about your book, the Joseph journey and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. But we didn't even, I mean, we touched on it, but we didn't even dive really deeply into what is sort of at the core of what you're doing uh, with maps mm-hmm. and, you know, the call to prayer and missions and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so yeah, thought maybe we could try to dig more deeply into that. And I think a lot of the community that connects with the Presence Pioneers podcast, we are passionate about the presence of God. We're passionate about prayer and and worship and and intercession. But God's connected worship and prayer and missions all together in His Word and in His plan in a really cool way. And so we'd love to just begin to talk about that. So maybe talk about how that fleshes out here. And then, I mean, you can Take it whichever way you want, but how does that flesh out here with maps, you know, uh, with you guys 
have a prayer room, but you're also sending people to the nations. I guess a good question would be, why? <laughs> why? why are those two things happening together uh, under the same roof? How do you see those things fueling each other and connected to each other? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. That's a big question. That's a big question. You just asked me my entire philosophy of ministry. There we go. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, so here at the MAPS Global Missions Base, we're here in Richmond, Virginia, um, and we are a spiritual family that is spread across, right now, multiple nations, but the center of our life together is the presence of God expressed in worship and prayer. So we call it our liturgeo, which is the Greek word for ministering that was used in Acts, Acts 13 with Antioch. It says, while they were ministering to the Lord, that word is liturgeo. It's the, word, it's the Greek word we get a liturgy from. Anyways, there's a rhythm of life that our spiritual family all has, we've gotten hooked on, we're committed to, and that is being daily before the Lord in worship first and then, and then agreeing with Him in prayer. Yeah, And so... We are a family. We've got a little church community here, but it's inside of a house of prayer community. And many of people listening to this would understand at least a little bit of what that would look like. I mean, what you experienced today was, is, you know, familiar, right? It, yeah. Where you grew up, you know, house of prayer movement. We've been around for a while. We talked this morning. We've been around now for 15, 20 years in the yeah. prayer movement. So there's there'd be familiarity in terms of the model, you know, that we do. But we also believe that in that place, in the place of prayer and worship and encountering Jesus, he sets apart laborers for his harvest, right? Matthew yeah. chapter nine, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Yeah. So his prescription for that was to pray earnestly. And so Matthew nine and that idea of praying communities are where the laborers are formed, trained and sent out of. And so... That's what we're doing here is we're beholding the beauty of Jesus because he's worth it, not just primarily because he's worth it. Right. Right. But secondarily, because it's the greenhouse for producing laborers that will actually consider things that are beyond what they want to do or comfortable. Mm. When, when you see the beauty of Jesus, the price tag starts to, to disappear, right? Yeah. You go, oh, he's worth it. Not only do you see the beauty of Jesus in the place of prayer and worship, but you also begin to touch his compassion. Yeah. Right? In fact, Matthew 9, uh, Matthew 9, 35 through 37, it says, Jesus looked upon the crowds, right, who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And it says he was moved with compassion. Mm. Now, that word in, in compassion in the Greek means his guts were wrenched. Is what It, mean, it literally means he had, like, his stomach was twisted. Mm. And so it wasn't pity. There's another word in the Greek for pity. It wasn't pity. It was it was this gut-wrenching groan in the heart of Jesus as he looks out across the crowds. And I believe, just submitting to this, this is beyond what is you know explicitly said there, but I believe he's yeah. not only looking at the crowds, he's looking at the nations. He's looking out, right? And uh, it says he was moved with compassion, which literally meant, his guts were twisted. And it was out of that groan of the limitless compassion of Jesus, that fiery compassion that he calls his disciples together. And he says, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are, and that word few is super interesting uh, because that word few, it can mean small in number, but it can also mean small in stature or puny, unable mm. to carry weight. Interesting. Yeah. And so I'm convinced that Jesus is not only identifying that the quantity of laborers is problem, but the quality of laborers is the problem. Yeah, that's good. Right. And so he says, here's the problem. I want to touch the nations. I want to deliver the nations from demonic oppression. My heart is overflowing with compassion. He goes, it's ready to go, but I don't have any laborers that care about what I care about and will carry the weight of what I want to release. Therefore, corporate command, pray earnestly. Yeah. Th and this is wild. He goes, pray earnestly. I'm telling you why we do this here. Sure. You yeah. got me into it now. Go for it. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, which is him. Yeah. He goes, 
hey, the Harvest Plan will come talk to me about this, right? Mm-hmm. And if you talk to me about this, something is going to happen that will ekbalo laborers into the harvest field. Now, you and I have been around in Lou Engle long enough to know what ekbalo means, right? Yep. Violently thrust. Yep. It's the only time in the New Testament that that word is used in a positive sense. Right. Usually it's like for casting out demons. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it was the Greek word used when like a, uh, a band of raiders or like an army came through a town and they kidnapped it. They, they took everybody and went with them. They were ekbalo'd. Wow. So it's this violent shift that happens when we come talk to Jesus, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right? Something, something violently touches us. Yeah. So the question is, what is that that so violently lays hold of us? Yeah in the place of prayer that wow. produces laborers. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. Like right after that in chapter 10, the first thing it says, when he had called his disciples to him, he gave them power. Yes. So like Jesus teaches it and then he does it. He draws the disciples to himself, empowers them, and then sends them out. Yeah. Immediately after that. Yeah. Exhortation and prayer. So there's three things, in my opinion, that violently lay hold of us. And that's the third one, the anointing. Mm. But the first one is the worth of Jesus. Yeah. Like he says, come talk to me. Because when you see me, when you encounter me, it's going to violently rearrange your priorities and your affections and your desires and your dreams. Amen. Right? Yeah. And the worth of Jesus, you know, it's it's a phrase we use a lot around our parts and our streams, and it's right. Yeah. But the worth of Jesus is a violent encounter. I don't mean violent. What I mean is violent to everything we thought was important. It's disruptive. Yeah. Disruptive is a great, great word. Yeah. You know, the ones, the ones closest to them in the throne room, their lives are singularly prioritized. Right. You know what I'm saying? And the ones, you know, if you're really Revelation four and five, which I know you're really familiar with, those closest to them are in the most agreement with them. Hmm. Like there's no, when, when a decree is released from the throne for revival, for judgment, for shifting, for there is no disagreement. Yeah. Why? Because the worth of Jesus has eclipsed any disagreement in the throne room, right? Yeah. And so the reason that Jesus has come talk to me about it is because his beauty and his worth has to violently rearrange our, our lives. The second thing that violently lays hold of us is his compassion. Mm. It's his heart. Yeah. And this was my story into this world of night and day prayer in the unreached in the 1040 window and in the Middle East was a prayer, a a simple prayer, one sentence that absolutely wrecked my life because God took it seriously. And it was, God, give me your heart. Yeah. I didn't understand what I was praying. I was all up in the fields in the prayer meeting, you know, I didn't understand what I was praying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but what I was actually asking is for the eternal, omnipotent, unlimited God to touch my limited, frail capacity with his ability to feel compassion. Yeah. That's when you say, God, give me your heart. Yeah. I was asking for the God who currently hears the groan of every single prisoner on the earth to touch me with his heart. Which means if that transaction, if that happens, something's going to (laughs) break and it's not God. It's not him. Right. For sure. And so the reason we train frontier missionaries, frontier laborers, one of the reasons in the rhythm of life of prayer and worship is because we want them to get a broken heart. Yeah. That's good. We want them to begin to see worth of Jesus and then their hearts break over peoples and places, neighborhoods and nations that they never even considered before. Yeah. And when the worth of Jesus, his compassion breaks the heart, then he releases something, what you said, the anointing. Yeah. And when those three things come together, all of a sudden your life's not your own. Yeah. You're going somewhere to minister to, uh, to people and places that you didn't even, it wasn't in your journal growing up, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and that's the, I think that's the biblical kind of narrative of that. Yeah. So we train laborers or we put people, I'll say it this way. We put people in that greenhouse and we allow 
Jesus to do his work. Yeah, that's so good. I love it. Uh, For me personally, that was, you know, much of my journey was it started with worship. I was a worship leader, musician, singer. I love Jesus. I love your presence. But then I began to feel his heart, began to feel that compassion, which for me, that first began to manifest in prayer, intercession. I began to pray his heart and pray for people that I didn't even know (laughs) and wasn't connected to because Jesus is connected to them. And, And I was feeling his love and his you know, desire for them, the lost or for nations or for Israel or whatever right. it may be. And uh, and then the, I think, the like you said, the third phase is sort of the anointing, the empowerment yes. to go and to to really be the answer to your prayer. To yeah, some, it's to for some the assignment. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so for me, what I saw early on was that in Matthew 9, there was a prescription. You know, there was a prototype. There was a model that Jesus wanted to build in communities. Yeah. That would be these sending centers, yeah. you know? And I think Matthew 9 is realized, fully realized in Antioch, right? right? It's the praying community daily before the Lord and what happens. Worth of Jesus, compassion, send, right? Yeah. It's all right there. So we we started in terms of the model and the, uh, and the methodology of how we do what we do. It's It's very much rooted in the fact that I don't make missionaries. Randy doesn't make missionaries. Yeah. Christ makes missionaries. Yes. Statistics don't make missionaries. Mm. They don't. Uh, statistics will get us to look up for a minute and go, oh, that's odd. Yeah. 40% of the earth hasn't heard the gospel. Oh, that's odd. But it won't form a missionary. Right. It'll get us in the door, but it's an encounter with the glory and beauty of Jesus that makes a missionary. Yeah. And so we call our little, you know, mission space here a greenhouse. Right. You know? Yeah. So... Communities that are pursuing hosting the presence of God or some expression of day and night worship, prayer, gathering together to encounter Jesus, to be in His presence, can become these greenhouses. They're signing up for assignments they don't know about yet. Yeah. Yes, 100%. I mean, most people, I would guess, are signing up because they love Jesus, they love love His presence, or they're stirred for prayer, they're hungry for revival, something like that. And revival meaning usually their own sphere, their own city, maybe. That's right. I mean, for me, that's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> so, me you too. Know, not signing up for nations or I'm signing up for my city or my community, my church. And uh, God has, God's got a lot more going on, doesn't he, in his heart? <laughs> yeah. And if he told us all at once, we wouldn't sign up. So he draws us in. Yeah. He draws us in with intimacy and, and yeah. his beauty. And then while we're there, he starts unfolding it. And, you know, even the Great Commission, Matthew 28, it says, this is so funny. If It says, he brought them up to the mountain and they worshiped him. And he said, go therefore unto all the nations. Hmm. The Great Commission was given in the middle of a worship service. Come on. Because they would have said no. They would have been like, nah, it's not a good idea yeah. unless they were caught up in worship. Yeah. And so I, one of our leaders here, our, uh, one of our VPs, Chris Carter, he says that Jesus speaks to us about assignments that are beyond what we can do in the context of worship, because that's the only place we'll say yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. It's, it's true. true. We're like, oh, that's crazy, but you're so beautiful. Right, like, yes, right. God, yes, 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 yes. And then and then we go on the long journey of walking it out. But Yes. Yeah, for um, sure. So on the one hand, I, that's really encouraging because there really is a global prayer movement that's emerged over the last 20 years where there's communities that are praying and worshiping yep. like never before. That's real which is encouraging for the sense of what is the missions movement that God wants to release out of that prayer movement, which I believe is very real. But the I've also experienced, I'm curious your thoughts on this, sometimes there's praying communities that never hit that going <laughs> moment. And there's communities that are praying, worshiping, they enjoy the presence of God, but they're sort of insular. They're not yes. going out into their city. They're not going into the nations. So I'm just curious, why do, what do you think happens sometimes when you kind of get these hangups and it seems like maybe this progression that you see in the scriptures doesn't quite play out? Any, I, any thoughts? Oh my, yes. I have a, there's a hundred reasons why that happens. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, and I can't really speak to what necessarily what God speaks to individuals and leaders about how they're to build those communities. Sure. I do think that there is 
there's something we need to be aware of and be aware of and be aware of how that plays out towards the goal you're talking about, which is the output of the prayer room. Yeah. We need to be aware of the neo-monastic kind of tendencies within the prayer movement. Right. Not that that's wrong or right, but the, these kind of cloistered communities, we just have to be aware of even some of the language we're using that might uh, embody some of those paradigms that would stop somebody at a point where maybe the Lord wants to lead them unto an assignment out of that thing. And yeah. I'm being kind of vague about that, but I think that I'll say it better this way. I think the Lord wants to define the output of the prayer movement. Yeah. I think what, what the last 20 years have established a lifestyle and a value system that has been revolutionary to the church. And now God wants to add on top of it, the output yeah. For many, some, the output will be in that place, Sure, but it'll be in families who have their eyes set on the great commission. There you go. And so my, I, I say this all the time around here. Uh, my goal is not to make everyone a missionary, right? That's not my goal. My goal is to preach Christ as infinitely worthy and then build a family that understands the Great Commission is the mandate of the church in which we're all participants in. Right. And whatever your part to play, you know, John Piper's famous, you're either a goer, a sender, or disobedient. <laughs> right? Yeah. Have you heard that before? Yeah. And uh, and so I want to build a family that understands that although I'm, you know, you know, in our church community, we've got people that work for the Postal Service in Richmond or doctors or moms— but we're building a family, a rhythm of life and a family that understands we're, we're on this side, hosting the presence of God, nurturing and training sons and daughters and sending them because our goal is for Christ to be preached in every nation. Even if I'm never going, I'm a part of this story because I'm in yeah. this family. Yeah. And then also coming out of the prayer room and you're going into your life and your, and your assignment as a mom, as, as a postal worker, as a doctor, as a college student. Yeah. And, and that fragrance, uh, you know, yeah. is, uh, carrying out of the prayer room. And so, For sure. so assignments should be coming out of yeah. that nucleus of prayer and worship. Yeah. You could be a part of a community that values the great commission, even if you're not a missionary you know, that, that you're a part of a community that's worshiping Jesus and preaching the gospel, that kind of thing. But is there a way for these, I'm just thinking about community that goes, well, are we, <laughs> do we value the Great Commission? What can we do to, to make sure? Is there a way that we can have our prayer meetings differently or worship differently? You know, like just, are there, are there actual things, these group, you know, cause there's people that are connected that I know that are listening to the podcast, little groups that are doing prayer meetings and worship nights and those kinds of things. Are there just little things that they can do, you know, to maybe, maybe shift, move towards, you know, having that great commission mindset or that great commission as a value in, you know, in their worshiping, praying community. Does that make sense? Great question. First of all, we have to understand the great commission. What mm -hmm. is it? Without understanding what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 28 and Matthew 24, 14, then the Great Commission becomes a bit, a bit of a catch-all for whatever anybody wants to do. Yeah. Right. And so I want to be careful because that's not the historic understanding of the Great Commission. In fact, that idea that the Great Commission is everybody kind of pursues their individual callings and we're all doing the Great Commission, that's a very new idea mm. in, in the last 20 years. Kind of stamping missional on everything. everything. Right. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to, you know, get into the fight about what, you know, whether that's right or wrong, but I'll just say for the last 2000 years, that's a, that was not how the church understood what it meant to be missional. Mm. That's how the church understood what it meant to be Christian. There you go. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There was a ministry, there was a vocation, an assignment that was reserved for the word missional, missionary. Mm -hmm. And it was those that were going to leave their culture and go to another culture for the sake of preaching the gospel. And so I do think that there's been a bit of a dilution in this idea of the Great Commission, mm -hmm. especially in our streams, that we kind of, 
you know, and, and, and also there's confusion on the word calling. Okay. I'm going meta. I'll bring it in. Okay. So how that plays out is people go, well, we're going to be, we're going to be a community who wants to be great commission focused. So, so we're going to, uh, you know, help people find their callings. Hmm. Right. Right. And the problem with that is that it deprioritizes the apostolic and the historic priority on those that have never heard the gospel. That makes sense. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yep. And so what happens is we th- we think we're connecting in Great Commission when really we're just empowering people to live as Christians. Yeah. And we're not thinking about the nations of the earth that have no access to the gospel. Yeah. And I would submit to this family of listeners that that's that's not in line with the apostolic priority. Mm-hmm. So we got to understand the Great Commission. What is it? And the Great Commission is the plumb line calling for the church. Like all of our individual assignments and mandates, they all go towards that, the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is clear. It is the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom and every ethnos and the discipleship of every ethnos. Okay, so the Great Commission isn't... And ethnos is... Oh, sorry. Tribes, families. It's the Greek word for families, tribes, people groups. There you go. It's not the Greek word for countries and governments. Political nations, right? Geopolitical entities. And so the Great Commission is about gospel and discipleship in tribes of the earth. It's not necessarily about influence in spheres of society. Mm. It's not. Influences in spheres of society is good if it's submitted to the Sermon on the Mount, but that's not what Jesus was going for with the Great Commission. He was going for a proclamation and then a teaching of the tribes of the earth of his gospel and his beauty, which would produce worship in all the nations. Yes. Ethnos. So I'm giving you the long answer to what do communities do Mm. is that first we got to relook at the Great Commission. Just relook at it. Barna did a study in 2018 that rocked our world. This is part of why we released our uh, 50 Hours documentary. Mm. Barna did a study in 2018, and in it, they asked churchgoers in America three questions about the Great Commission. Have you heard of it? Do you know where it is in the Bible? And can you explain it? Mm. And 81% had never heard of it. Oh, my gosh. And couldn't tell you where it was in the Bible. 81%. Wow. That's sad. It, it Well, it's an alarm. You know, it's like, whoa, wait. If 81% of people sitting in our churches haven't heard of the Great Commission, then what are they hearing? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. And what are we trying to produce? So number one, my number one answer to what do communities do is leaders, because it's got to come from the top down. Leaders yeah. have to start looking at the Great Commission and considering how to... Teach, preach, connect people to the Great Commission more than just their ministry plan. Yeah. John Piper says, a heart that has shrunk to the level of its own concerns is a heart that's sick. Mm. In other words, if we're not connected to God's global plan, and we're not connected to what Jesus wants to do across the nations, sickness sets in on our hearts because all we see is our current concerns. Yeah. And that's a Christian that's disconnected from what Jesus is doing. Right. Now, here are these hurdles that are coming across, and one of them is this nationalism thing. Like, Mm. we don't, as Americans, really care about any other nation Mm. because we think ours is the best and should be the best, and everybody else can go eat dust. Right. And that is is a hurdle. It's a hindrance. It is a hindrance, a great commission. In fact, you know, I said this the other day. I don't know if you want to take this podcast here, but (laughs) I said— this obsession with American politics and influence has been the single greatest distraction from the Great Commission in mm. the last 20 years in the church. Wow. It's like we're obsessed with this one particular thing that we want to accomplish, and we we don't even, we don't, 81% of our people don't even know what the Great Commission is. Wow. So yeah. you're asking me this question, like, what do they do? And I'm going, well, first, we've got to get back to even what the Great Commission is. Yeah. Which means we kind of have to understand what it's not. 
what is not. Yeah. No, that, that's if that's a hindrance, we need to go there and <laughs> we need to talk about it. And it kind of comes back to the conversation we had before about Antioch, where, yes. where in the scriptures and the story in the book of Acts, you see Jesus give the Great Commission, and then the church at Jerusalem begins to experience revival, but... You could say they weren't, they didn't really fulfill the Great Commission or weren't pursuing the Great Commission because they were just absorbed in what was going on in their own local environment. That's right. And they were dealing with the needs and they were dealing with the discipleship and, and who knows what and else. And they were dealing with racism. And they were dealing with racism. A hundred percent they were dealing with racism. Yeah. So maybe. Maybe we could go there a we little can, bit, like yeah. let's like the progression from Jerusalem to Antioch, because you know it seems that that you could in some ways look at where especially the Western Church is, American Church, sure, as in a Jerusalem kind of environment, and and God is really wanting to bring us into this Antioch reality, which I is agree which with is that. Acts chapter thirteen, yeah, eleven, and which 13. is yeah, eleven through thirteen. And uh, where you have a church that's ministering to the Lord, they're doing worship and prayer, and they're fasting, they're right. they're teaching, they're prophesying, and then they're sending sending missionaries to the nations because it was Which Jesus said Jerusalem, Paul, Judea, yeah. Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So, right. so they were doing Jerusalem, maybe Judea, Samaria, but they were definitely not doing the ends of the earth. But no, anyway, they I, weren't even doing Judea and Samaria. They weren't even doing it Judea. Took Samaria. After the scattering for Philip to finally make it to Samaria. Hey guys, this is Matthew. We'll get back to the episode in just a moment. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider joining Presence Pioneers Premium, our brand new subscriber community. Paid subscribers will get exclusive premium content, such as bonus podcast episodes, exclusive articles, early releases, and more. Presence Pioneers will be releasing its first e-course in 2024, with many more to come. And the Presence Pioneers premium subscribers will always have full access to the entire library of online courses. Visit media.presencepioneers.org or click the link in the description to join today. You can become a premium member today for an introductory price of only $5 a month. When the price goes up in the future, as our library of resources grows, you can stay subscribed at the original price. If you've enjoyed our podcast for a while, becoming a premium member is a simple way for you to help us cover the cost of producing this podcast and partner with Presence Pioneers in equipping the church with resources for day and night prayer, prophetic worship, missions, and revival. Visit media. .presencepioneers.org to sign up today. Okay, and this was persecution. The Jews were persecuted, and then they started, then they had to scatter. And, and that, that's what got them out of Jerusalem. Yes. Which is crazy, and it's, and it's, it's scary. Mm. And uh, because I believe the elements of that narrative are what we're experiencing right now. Wow. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> uh, so... Pentecost, right? right? Acts chapter one, Jesus stands in front of him, resurrected Lord on the mountain, says to 500 people, go to Jerusalem and tarry, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. 500 go back to Jerusalem and they go to the place of prayer. They're waiting, right? Tarrying. For some reason, that number goes from 500 to 120 in 10 days. If you've ever hosted a prayer meeting, you know why that number went down. Yeah. Now, here's why. Here's one reason why I believe the attrition of the attrition rate there is because they went back to Jerusalem and they go, if this thing hits, we're going where? Mm. And they go, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. Like, I, I, believe part of the attrition between 500 and 120 was to the ends of the earth. And they go, we don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> like, no, it's not what we signed up for. Right. And so by the time they get to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's poured out and the church, you know, explodes. It, it's birthed. But we got to, we got to remember, we got to remember the reason for Pentecost was for the ends of the earth. Mm. Like that was the point. It wasn't, 
Pentecost wasn't kind of like this surprise outpouring of the Spirit yeah. that made the meetings better. Right. It was a specific endowment, a specific gift for a specific task. You will receive power to the ends of the earth. Mm. So Jesus gives him the Holy Spirit to the church, right? Yeah. If thing explodes in revival, and for 10 years, no one leaves Jerusalem. Wow. And no one even goes down to Samaria, which is like, it's it's like the other side of the tracks. Yeah. We're not talking, we're talking about a matter of a couple miles. Yeah. No one leaves. Revival is breaking out and God gives them time. Yeah. And what happens is numbers, 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 busy, presence, power. It's awesome. But something else is creeping up in the Jerusalem church that they are unaware of. And it, it kind of starts manifesting. It pokes its head up on Max chapter six, mm. where a dispute arose between uh, the widows in the daily distribution. And what was happening was that some widows were getting the best distribution. They were getting it regular. They were getting taken care of. Other widows were being passed over, overlooked, or not taken care of. Right? It was a removal of care. Yeah. What was the distinction between those? It was cultural differences. Wow. Yeah. The ones that were getting taken care of were the ones that were the most like them. Yeah. The ones that were getting overlooked were the ones that were a little bit culturally different, the Hellenists. And I this this phrase is I don't know, Matthew. I don't know whether this is positive, negative, what is it? But they bring this to the apostles. Yeah. They go, "Hey, the ethnically different, the the culturally different widows, they're not, they're mit, they're getting overlooked and the apostles go we don't have time to deal with this we have to give ourselves to the word of god in prayer yeah and i've always heard that preached is like yay go them right they're gonna stay focused i don't know if that's exactly what was happening there mm. they might have been going no nah, it's not a big deal we're not gonna deal with the racism thing like that's they, not really happening no that's not real to, they didn't want to have to get in the middle that's of it. not yeah. real you know maybe whatever and they go no we're just gonna stay in the prayer room and so they they end up choosing the seven to help with the distribution. That's Acts chapter seven. Yeah. Stephen's one of them. Stephen stands up, persecution breaks out. Yeah. And then the church is scattered. Now, the reason I know, you go, is aren't you implying, are you reading into it that there's racism? No, I'm not. Because of Galatians chapter one and two. Peter, the leader of that church, came down to Antioch. And when he came, when he came, he was fellowshipping with the Gentiles and then men from James came down and he removed himself from associating with the Gentiles. And Paul stands up and publicly rebukes him because of his racism. Yeah. His boy showed up <laughs> from Jerusalem. And he was like, oh shoot, like that's not what we do in Jerusalem. <laughs> right. So for sure, for yeah. sure racism was happening. Anyways. Yeah. So the reason I say all that is to say. In my opinion, it is without question that even in the midst of revival, racism was causing the Jerusalem church not to look at the nations. Yeah. It was a hindrance to the Great Commission. Mm. Now, for, for Jews, first century Jews, race and na nation are the same thing, right? right? So it was a nationalism and a racism. Yeah. It's somewhat different now because really no ethnos has a nation, a country right now, like America's dozens and dozens and dozens right. of ethnicities. But those two things remain, in my opinion, the greatest hindrance for the church to look at hmm. the Great Commission is nationalism and racism. Yeah, We take care of our own. We're after us first. If there's anything left over, but what this also does is it confuses enemy of country with enemy of church. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. These are massive things. I didn't realize we we're going to get into this. But. <laughs> and so it's good. these race, the yeah. racism and nationalism, what it does is we go, oh, we don't send people there because they're our enemies. Right, right. I hear this, by the way. This I'm is sure. not, I'm not speculating. I hear Because you, you're sending people to the Middle East and. Yeah. Right in the heart of the Muslim world. Right. They're our enemies. They're condemned. They're whatever. I go, whose enemies? Yeah. Because the Great Commission says the church has no enemy yeah. in the nations. 
maybe the political entity or factions of of that group that carry the same religion might be enemies of your state, but they're not right. enemies of your church. Right. And that's where these things are so ingrained in us. That's real. That this is why 80 this is these are reasons why 81% of the church hasn't heard of the Great Commission. Yeah. Is because these things are so in the way that we can't even consider. Yeah. We can't even consider leaving a life in America behind to go live among Muslims in Afghanistan as worth anything. Mm. And I want to say to everyone listening, that might be that that thought, that paradigm, that that understanding might be directly in contradiction to the apostolic gospel. Right. So you asked me yeah. what communities do to connect to the Great Commission, and, and it's this. you got to start talking about this stuff and dealing yeah. with it. Right. Otherwise, all your prayers will be focused on one small little thing, and Jesus is going, look up. Right. No, that's good. We need we need to talk about it. I mean, it's real, and it's, it's influencing the body of Christ at large, but it's influencing those who pray, the charismatic church, a lot of people that, that check in here. You have... And then when you throw, <laughs> we're just kind of all over the place, but then you throw in the prosperity teaching yes. with it. And yes. then why on earth would you want to go to the nations and live a missionary lifestyle to, you know, reject the blessings, supposedly, <laughs> that God wants to give you a prosperity and a comfortable life? And then you, so you have that aspect of it. And then you have the national, kind of tied with the nationalism. Totally. That theology of the you call it the prosperity, the prosperity gospel, which I... It's which not I, the gospel, but... It's not. I right. absolutely abhor it because it's not the gospel. Yes. And it's ruining people's lives. Yes. But that theology, it doesn't have any room or grid, theological grid for suffering, yeah. hardship, or sacrifice. Yeah. Unless it's sacrifice unto betterment. Right. In other words, I'll work hard and grind it out because I know you know, the dream is going to be realized. Right. That's the only, it's only sacrifice if it betters me because it has no grit, theological grit for those things. Then missions can't even be on the table. Right. Because cross-cultural frontier missions is going to require suffering, hardship, and sacrifice. And so it's crazy. Like people can't even people, we're at a place right now where we're battling the fact that people don't even have it in their paradigm of Christianity that the gospel should be preached to the nations. Right. How far have we gone? So, man, we're taking a deep dive. But That's good. <laughs> but Jesus has got a plan. <laughs> this is a good, yeah, Jesus yeah. got a plan. He's going to get us there. And the way, see, for me, the prayer movement has always been a missions movement in incubation. Right. He first had to get us into the place of prayer and presence to go, oh, wait, you know, my life— is more, my life is about more than just what I can get. Yeah. You know, and so it's taken decades to start pulling these things apart. And we're, I mean, the last four or five years, we're in another just Jesus ripping this stuff apart for us. Mm. And I'll just tell you confidently, thus says the Lord, he's doing these things because he's going to get us back on on his page Amen. and on his commission. Yes. Like, this is what's happening. Right. This whole turmoil over elections. and But what Jesus is doing is it is he's pulling things apart. Yeah. And we're starting to go, wait, what? Wait, where? Wait, who? Wait, right. What is this? Because he's going, hey, I'm actually calling you to come get back on the same page with me because I got a plan that I'm executing across the nations and you guys are missing out on it. Yeah. Wow. And that's the numbers don't lie. We're missing out on it. For sure. They're, they're not, like I can give you statistics, but they're sad. Right. You know, but it's reality. I'm not sad. I am ex I am extremely hopeful. Yeah. Because of what I see happening. Yeah. But it's no surprise. All those things. It's no surprise that 81% or whatever the number was yeah, don't don't know the great commission. Haven't even because heard because there's it. all these unbiblical ideas that are creeping into our mindsets and even into some false teachings that are being pushed out that are hindrances. And those are, and we need to expose those things. We need to call them out. And because I think even you can sit in a prayer room and 
and pray. But if either you don't hear or the, the Holy Spirit doesn't show you some of these things and deal with some of those things, it's never going to get beyond that. It's, there's always going to be that limitation like there was in Jerusalem where where there's God's doing real things and there's miracles and there's power and there's presence and there's there's stuff going on. But the fullness of what God wants to to release is, is not fully manifested. Well, go back to Jerusalem. Let's finish out that narrative, right? So they don't leave Jerusalem for 10 years, a decade. And finally, God ha- God has to initiate trouble. And this is what I'm, I'm, when I said earlier, I believe it's speaking to what's happening right now. God initiates trouble. The reason I know God initiates it is because the person that he uses to, as the primary catalyst for that trouble was the person who later said, the one who chose me before I was born. <laughs> Do you understand? There you that? go. Yeah, like, so God initiates trouble. Yeah. The second reason I know it was God is because the apostolic core was unhindered, unhurt. It was every, it was the crowds that got scattered. Mm. So Jesus goes, I love my church, but if you won't, if you won't consider the nations, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help your people get out. That's terrifying. Yeah. I would rather voluntarily go. Right. You know, scatters. Then you've got about 10 years of wandering between Acts 7 and Acts 11. Hmm. The, the book of Acts, the timeline stretches out once you hit Acts 7. Yeah. 10 years of these people just wandering, trying to find a home. And somewhere in that displacement and wandering, these things start to get worked out. Yeah. Where they finally land in Acts chapter 11, those that were scattered went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Yeah. Those that were scattered. Billy, Bob, and Susie. Like, yeah. we don't know who they were, but something had been worked out in this um, fascinating, amazing, historic, world-changing decision was made. The, you know what? The Hellenists also, they deserve the gospel. Yeah. They preached the gospel, first time cross-cultural missions. And it says, the hand of the Lord was with them in a great number, Pentecost 2.0. Yeah. Pentecost re- released again, thus births the missions hub of the New Testament. The reason why Antioch could not be a church plant of Jerusalem is because God didn't want to replicate the culture of Jerusalem, or he would replicate another hub that wasn't focused on the Great Commission. Yeah. And so he had to scatter and rebuild. Yeah. And then you get Antioch, and, you know, for those of you who haven't looked at Antioch, I'll just say one statement. It'll pique your interest. You're not listening to this podcast unless Antioch happened. Right. <laughs> Super significant. You're not in, in the New Testament. You're not even you're not even a Christian unless Antioch. Yeah. So Yeah. Maybe we could just kind of close out with with just a brief overview of Antioch. And maybe for those who are tuning in who are saying we want to reject some of these ideas, we want to embrace God's commission fully. What are what are some of the values maybe? that the church in Antioch carried, that we could say, we want to pursue these values. We want to embrace these, the fullness of these values so that we can not only be a worship and prayer community, but be connected to that great commission. Yeah. That we think that would be helpful. Yeah. 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 That'd be good. So when you ask me, you know, what can communities and leaders do? First, look at the great commission. First, start asking these hard questions. Look at the great commission. Number two, start adding into your prayer life. It doesn't have to be the only thing you pray for, but start adding into your corporate prayer life, nations. Yes. Start big, just nations, and the Lord will zoom that in for you. Mm. If you ask him, he'll start to put people, people groups on your heart. Then when you get that, then start asking for assignments. Mm. And uh, it's not hard. Just do Matthew 9. Pray for laborers. And when the Lord starts putting his hand on laborers, then figure out how to get them there. And uh, good. and uh, it will not be a distraction. It'll lift the ceiling off your ministry, your house of prayer. Yeah. Because it'll give you a global perspective and a global reach. Right. That's so good. So um, so values in Antioch. So the, the centrality of worship and prayer, they were ministering to the Lord with fasting. Like I know this could be a whole sermon this, in, this it, is, in, I'm trying to, in itself, so but maybe we could just do a couple bullet points. And minister then the Lord, present center, keep worship at the center. Yeah. And then say, Lord, tell us what's on your heart. And he'll tell you. He'll tell you neighborhoods. He'll tell you nations. Two, two, so into young leaders. Mm. 
What happened in Antioch was that Barnabas went and got Saul and brought him to Antioch. And Barnabas said, I'm going to take this young guy who's got a, has a earth shattering call in his life, but he has no idea what he's doing. And I'm going to bring him into this family and I'm going to let him grow up in this environment. And I'm going to shield him from all the other voices that say he should be doing something else. Mm. So into young people and to young leaders. Number three, pursue relationships with people in prayer first, get them in prayer first, and then relationships with people that don't look like you or vote like you or eat like you or listen to the same music as you. I was hoping you would say that. Because here's why. We will never we will never even think about nations if we're in homogenous environments. Yeah. If everyone in the room looks like you, likes the same music as you, is the of the same social economic status, mm-hmm. we're not learning to love beyond ourselves. We're learning to like our preferences. Mm-hmm. This is really important. It's very important. And so there has to be an intentionality to pursue relationships and to pursue a multi-ethnic reality. Yeah. I'm talking about life. I'm not talking about do the unity prayer event. That's awesome. Like right. love unity prayer event. I'm talking about where you're living and 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 uh, consistently rubbing shoulders with people that are not your same skin color, who don't have the same political ide- ideology as you. And what's going to happen is you're going to you're going to learn to love beyond what you like. And when you begin to do that, then all of a sudden the nations don't look as intimidating. Yeah. And this was happening in Antioch. It was Actually, happening in yeah, Antioch. in Acts 13, when you go through the list of people it mentions that were that were the prophets and teachers, you you realize they were from multiple ethnic groups. Yeah, and the the community itself was a it was a merge of Jew and Gentile, so it was right. racial reconciliation. Then in the leadership, you had Paul and Barnabas who were Jews, yeah. uh, Mananian who's Greek, and then you have uh, Simon who's called Niger because he's black, he's African. Right. And so multi-ethnicity, it, it, it adds to this concoction of a greenhouse that produces a laborer. Yeah. So pursue multi-ethnic relationships. Let, less, to the Lord. less homogenous houses of prayer. We have to. <laughs> we have to. Amen. Because what we're building here is prototypical for what we want to build in the nations. Yeah. Maybe some different musical styles and all those kinds of things so, in our worship. So like even here, I'll just give you a, a small example. We, we, we go after this. We go after this. In, we're in Richmond, Virginia. Okay, this is the capital of the Confederacy. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this, this city's got a history that's unrivaled. Wow. We've got at least one, two, three, four, four, three or four different languages, prayer sets that are in three or four different languages in this prayer room. That's awesome. Tuesday nights, Arabic set. Arabic speaking believers are are praying and ministering the Lord in our prayer room. African-American, white, Egyptian, Hispanic, all, and what's happening is a a rhythm of life, a family that's multicolored, multi-ethnic, and it doesn't sound the same. And what's happening is student comes in and they see this reality that they never even touched, you know, and it's starting to tear down the, my world revolves around me to, I'm a part of a big story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, that could be a whole podcast, sure. on multi-ethnic reality, but it's important. It's an important value for these sending communities. Yes. Any, uh, anything else you want to mention out of Antioch? Yeah. Is that this will go back to philosophy of ministry. Another reason why we train in the context of prayer and worship is because laborers reflect cultures that they're sent from. They reproduce what they were trained in. That's good. And so when we see the Bible, when I look at the Bible, and I'll just issue another invitation, challenge to leaders of houses of prayer, um, praying groups, praying campuses, praying churches, go back and find every passage that you have used in your life to justify doing your house of prayer. Mm. Just go back and look at it. And it's all good. Like you did well, but go back and look at the context of those verses. Yeah. And what you're going to find is almost, almost all of them are in the context of the nations worshiping, particularly ethnos, families, tribes in the Middle East worshiping. Mm. Almost all of them. 
the ones that we've used to say, hey, house prayer enrichment, it's because A, B, and C, and here's where it is in the Bible. We go, yeah, it's there. But but those passages are about more than Richmond. They're even they're about more than America. They're about more than the Western Hemisphere, even. Yeah. They're about worship, prayer and worship incense in nations and people groups right now that don't have a witness of the gospel. Mm. The remnant of Edom, right? And so go back and look and consider and look at what's happening in these nations in the Bible. Look at it and go, wow, it's worship, it's incense, it's prayer, it's Isaiah 19, all these things. And go, okay, that means that the missions movement that brings the gospel to these currently unreached nations, they'll have a cult, it's going to have a culture to it. Mm. It's going to have a value system in it. It's going to have a, a fragrance to it. And when the gospel, Matthew 24, 14, is preached in every ethnos, it will also produce incense in every place, Malachi 111. It's the same movement. Yeah. In other words, the prayer and worship movement is the end time missions movement. Yeah. And what they're going to do is take prayer and worship to the nations and out of, and, and the same thing we do here, out of the presence, gospels proclaimed will be exactly what happens in the most unreached nations of the earth. Out of prayer and worship, the gospel will break out. Yeah. And the end of the story is that Isaiah 42 all the nations are singing. Yeah, come on. Right? Missions exists because worship doesn't. John Piper. John Piper. Yeah. So, <laughs> I was so good out of the Great Commission. I know some people don't like his other stuff, but on Great Commission and Jesus, he's really strong. Yeah, worship and missions, yeah. So it's good. the same movement. Yeah. There is no, in Jesus' mind, there's not a prayer movement and a missions movement. Yeah. It's not. That's right. It's a church that he is calling to himself. Yes. They're seeing him. They're getting a broken heart and they're getting launched into the nations. Amen. And this is not, this is not like one day that'll happen. I, it is happening right now. Yeah. It's happening. That's awesome. I work That's across so the Middle East. I work in the largest unreached nations in the world and it is happening. Yeah. That's Everywhere awesome. where worship and prayer is starting to arise, gospels breaking out. Yeah. Historic gospel. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, man. Thank you for what you guys are doing in modeling this and pioneering it really in you and many other communities, of course, totally. but, uh, we need this. The church needs this, the church in America, the prayer movement needs to hear this message needs yeah. to grasp these realities. And hopefully, hopefully this will help a little bit. Do you want to just pray for everybody that tunes I in? I do. Here? Yeah, I yeah. do. And I just felt even prophetically, just as yeah. you, you were ending that there's some people listening right now, they've been particularly in the last 10 years, they've been kind of in this pattern of trying to figure out where they're going to land and like what the assignment is. And I believe that for some, it's because the assignment's not in America, but they haven't considered it that it's another nation yet. And they've, so they felt kind of like lost, Hmm. like not planted because of Matthew 24, 14 is true. That means we're about to see thousands and thousands and thousands get lit up and sent, you know? And so I just felt for some, this is just prophetically, if you're riding in your car or working out at the gym right now, and you've been like, why can't I just get into the lane and run with my assignment? It's it's because it might not be in America. Hmm. And I feel the drawing of the Lord. Lord, Jesus would come before you, Lord of the harvest. Mm -hmm. I'm asking you right now to draw men and women, draw young families, mm-hmm. draw young, young professionals, draw high school students even right now, mm-hmm. draw them to yourself and begin to speak to them about your global plan or draw them to yourself right now and begin to speak to them about North Africa, about Central Asia, God, about India, mm. God, about the Middle East, about the Arab Peninsula. God about Turkey, God about Japan. Let's speak to them about these places where there's no access to the gospel. There's not even a witness yet. Jesus, I'm asking that your zeal, your zeal for the nations of the earth would touch houses of prayer right now, touch praying communities. God, like you did with us 10 years ago, where we were just saying, we want revival and we want your heart. And you broke in sovereignly with me in a dream and said, who will build the house of prayer in the Middle East? I had no clue what you were talking about. I'm asking that you would multiply those encounters yes. right now across the this nation, across Europe, 
South America, those listening to this podcast, make the Great Commission great again, Lord, I'm asking. Make it first again. (laughs) Lord, let us all find all our individual assignments and everything we're working, let us find a commonality in the Great Commission again to make Jesus known among all nations. Lord, draw us in this hour. I'm asking you. I'm asking you for it, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord. Touch young families. God, even through this this pandemic where many have been forced into a transition, Lord, put the Great Commission on the radar. Put it put it in put it into the, the consideration, into the plan, Lord. Yeah. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for coming down, dude. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Wow, that was so good. Thank you so much for tuning in. What a fantastic interview with R.A. Martinez. If you have not subscribed yet, please hit subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a like, give us a comment, give us a share, give us a rating, all those things. Please engage with us. Leave us a comment. Share this with your friends. We want this message to get out. It's a strong message, but it's such a vital and important message. And look, if you enjoyed R.A. Martinez, go check out episode 35. We had another interview with him called What Every Pioneer Needs to Know. It was a very popular episode. It was about his book called The Joseph Journey, and it's really good. Thank you guys again for tuning in and tracking with the Presence Pioneers podcast. We love our podcast community. God bless you, and don't forget God's presence changes everything.